You've selected a show from the Podcast Jukebox, a DIY podcast network. Let's go to the island. I would like to see the polar bears. There was a crash, and there are others, and there are numbers, and it all means something supposedly, but even though there are times we to go back did we clearly we did <laughs> did we really we're here right now <laughs> welcome back to no love lost the podcast where we go back to the island yep yep um i uh love lost i love lost unconditionally Megan has... I got out of an abusive relationship with Lost. <laughs> That's what I did. <laughs> um, I'm Will Link. With me as always... Megan Salinas. Hey, guys. And we're going to be talking about uh, Season 1, Episode 4, Walkabout. But don't let that fool you. Uh, this is spoilers for basically the whole series. Uh, don't. So if you haven't watched Lost... I hope you don't have any intention of watching Lost because we're planning on spoiling the whole thing. I hope you binge the entire thing right now, then come back and listen to this <laughs> immediately following. That too. Or just listen to us because you don't care about spoilers. One of the two. Well, this is, I think it's fair to say, in the grand scheme of the series, this is a classic. This is a real classic episode. This, and, and when I, we've had a couple episodes now, uh, when I say I don't have a lot to complain about in this first season, it's episodes like this that I think of. There, this episode, when I first saw it, I remember thinking it was a masterpiece. Um, and maybe, you know, it's it's been some time, so I, I know that there are bits of television that have definitely lived up to this, but this, in my mind, is one of the, not only one of the best episodes of the series, I I would argue that it's one of the at least when when I think about like how I felt about it when I first saw it I would argue that it was one of the best episodes of TV that I had ever seen like period now that I I've rewatched it I I'm not sure if I maintain that high of praise for it but it's still a remarkably effective episode Yeah and, and look rewatching it and I I think it's an amazing episode but Rewatching it, it did remind me how the first time watching it, how much of this episode was the twist for me. The yeah. twist that we see, why why John Locke's acting the way John Locke is on this island. They, yeah, they very much set him, have him set up as a creepy guy, kind of where you're not sure whether he's a villain or not, whether he's unstable or not. Um, and then this episode really fully explores that and you really understand, you really understand him as a person after this episode. Well, Locke is the true believer. Locke always believed in the power of this island and what this island can do. And destiny. And Jack was always, you know, he was, he was science to Locke's faith. And it's funny, not in reality... I always go science, but on the <laughs> show, I always went faith because 
Locke was seeing things that couldn't be explained. There were things happening to him that couldn't be explained unless you took the leap of faith. And in this episode, we see the seeds of what made Locke Locke on this yeah. show. Uh, it even opens just like the pilot did with uh, this time instead of Jack Locke's eye opening up. Mm-hmm. And he's right there in the middle of that crash. So it really does a good job of, because of those parallels, setting up the eventual dichotomy that the two of them will have. And, you know, how how at odds they will be. And it's really weird thinking about how, like, um, how much they both represent the, the dogmas, I suppose you could uh, say, of, you know, science versus faith. Uh, the belief in being rational versus the belief in the island. Um, so they, they do a really good job with, with Locke opening his eye um, after the crash. They really do set up how much of an equal he is with Jack. Yes. And um, and how, how, you know, just well, that, that whole parallel. Well, watching this with the foresight of where these characters go is also really fascinating because again if it's back to the theme that Locke brought up a few episodes ago with the light in the dark with the backgammon game and knowing that Jack will become the light and Locke will become the dark or Locke will be taken over by the dark I should say yeah. more uh, it is really Again, seeing I had forgotten this episode opened with the eye opening up, and it, it is it's it's amazing how here's the thing. Throughout the show, we will probably debate about how much the writers knew, uh, versus when, how much they were making up as they went along. But this episode, it's clear that they were setting these two guys up to be diametrically opposed in this series and to represent these two different themes. Yeah, to represent these two ideals and. Not to mention that with the foresight that we get from later on in the series, it really, like, rewatching this episode really does hammer in, for me, just how tragic a figure John Locke is. Because, well, we'll get into it, but, like, he lived a very tragic life. Um, he ended up on this island where a component of his life that had been taken away from him for several years was restored to him and knowing what we know happens to him it looks like it was only restored so that he could eventually be the pawn of a monster like that's a real like he he puts his faith in island magic and you know we'll see it in a couple episodes when he when he comes face to face with the smoke monster um but like he puts his faith in island magic and it costs him his life and the the monster that is this island goes around wearing the mask of John Locke for a good chunk of a season and it is disgusting like it is it's really yeah. gross to think about in hindsight it's knowing upsetting. that that's, yeah it's basically masquerading as John Locke and that's real gross because at the end of the day John Locke the actual John Locke is a good man yeah, misguided, but a good man. Yeah, well, eh, I don't think any of these people are 
misguided. Or without their misguided. Misguided and arguably pretty selfish in certain regards. Um, but you can definitely tell why they end up that way just because of the, the way life treated him up until ending up on the island. Well, let's talk about... First, oh, let's... I do want to point out, just before we get into the episode, that actually this episode of Lost, even, you know, for all of my talk of how much I dislike this show and how, how much it disappointed me and how much it hurt me, this episode helped me run a round of Screen Junkies TV fights. Really? Yeah, best use of flashback in a television show. show. And I picked this episode, and my argument won that round. What was uh, your... What were some of the Actually, other oh, I, I hope you don't get mad at me. The um, the opposing arguments were um, the Beth flashback episode of Orphan Black, like first episode of season four. And then the other one was, um, I think, just How I Met Your Mother as a series, which I thought was kind of a cop-out of That's an argument. That's a cop-out, you, you argue Lucky Penny if you're going to pick any any given episode. You go with a specific episode and you argue it, and I would have picked Lucky Penny personally. I can't. I, I. I would. I would give you walkabout even over Orphan Black because it, it, this has a twist, and this is also when they were really starting to establish the style. So I feel like this means more for the series as a whole. I feel like the the ending of this episode, you know, using the flashbacks building up to that, had a better payoff um, for for the Beth flashbacks for Orphan Black. Um, you know, it answered some questions, but ultimately it just left me going, well, now I have... It was more set up for the season that we were getting. It was more set up than payoff. That's true. Um, so that was my argument, although it broke my heart to say anything bad about Orphan Black at that given point because I was just like, I have to argue against Orphan Black right now. I kind of feel the same about How I Met Your Mother in that it was a... As I do about Lost in that it was a really good series up until the end. <laughs> I never watched. <laughs> Real good. Mm. I, I very much enjoyed it. But you can definitely tell that they were not planning. Much like Lost, you can definitely tell that they were not planning on having nearly as many seasons as they did. So at a certain point, you have to start stretching out that mystery and flashbacks and story. So John Locke wakes up after the crash. And we have this great shot where he's looking at his feet move he's wiggling his toes masterfully done because you not knowing you know what 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 the twist is at the end of the episode you're just looking at him as that's just him getting oriented after the plane crash and he notices that his shoes are missing and so the first thing he does is like put his shoes back on yeah it's it's a very and normal thing to see somebody you know trying to regain their composure after after a crash, and this is like how masterfully acted that whole scene is, is that you watch them both times, not knowing and knowing, and it makes sense both times. It does. It it and it's something that even happens later in the episode mm -hmm. uh, when when the uh, Razorback comes at them and he's again down, and there's almost this moment where he's probably thinking, "Am I going to be able to get up? Is my fo oh okay? Yeah, no, I still can move. I can still walk." Um, I want to go through the flashbacks that lead us up to that moment first yeah, before sure. we get to the island stuff. Um, Locke is living, you know, the cubicle life. I get it. I was gonna say I don't. I don't think I've heard the words TPS report since Office Space. <laughs> yeah, no, it's 
It, it, I was thinking the same thing. And Randy, his boss, is the kind of douchebag who would be in that I'm gonna office space. I'm going to need you to come in on Saturday. But this guy, Randy, is such a dick. Can can I just say that, like, again, I love this episode, which, again, w- the further we get into the series, the less you're going to hear me say that. Um, but I got to say, I think Randy, I think this guy was the weakest part of the episode. Just because his cruelty seems so unwarranted well, and undeserved. cartoonish. And now I'm trying to struggle to think if there was a reason he had it out for Locke that we're going to that I've forgotten, but I don't think so. I think he's just a dick. Because, like, that makes him even worse. Because he, not knowing that Locke is a is a quadriplegic, you're just looking at him as like, oh, he's just a douchebag boss who's going on a power trip. Knowing that Locke is handicapped, it's literally just this guy picking on a guy in a wheelchair. Yeah, and I actually wonder if the first time I saw this episode, I probably... I probably always viewed Randy as a dick, but not nearly to yeah. the level. Of, okay, so I've never met anybody that outwardly cruel. I mean, I guess there outwardly. are people. There though, are, there especially are. young guys on a power trip ha- making you get TPS reports. Yeah. Um. By the way, uh, if you recall, and I know we see Randy again throughout the series and bits and pieces. But, if you recall, John Locke works for a, I believe, a box company owned by Hurley. <laughs> I completely missed that detail. Yeah, I, mean, I thought for a minute, I thought you, you were going to say uh, he works for a box company owned by the Tagarado Corporation. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, we, we, we wouldn't know that at this point in the series but i i believe by the end of the season you're able to piece that together and it's i I thought you were gonna say that randy at one point is drinking down a slusho i keep (laughs) trying to uh look for little things where there are clues in this episode i didn't see them (laughs) but they pop up later i'm sure um, um, and, and even so, like, any, any Cloverfield connection's just going to be a cursory thing. So, uh, Locke is in Cuba and takes this phone call, like, Colonel, your mission, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, what the hell is going on? And then there's the great kind of, the first reveal that we've been, where it kind of pulls out and we see he's just in a cubicle. And the next time we see him, he's playing a role-playing game with yeah, a co-worker on his looks lunch. like Risk. Yeah. Um... I, I gotta say, they did a really good job of hiding his wheelchair in plain sight. Like, um, I, I, I would have to go back and rewatch it again um, because I, I didn't, I realized I wasn't looking for it at a certain point, and so I started looking at it, looking for it a little later than I should have. Um, but for the scenes where I was looking, you can tell they, they, there was a lot of thought put into the blocking and the set dressing to hide the wheelchair in almost every frame that he's in. And sometimes you can even see parts of the wheelchair in the background when he's sitting like in his bed, but you wouldn't know to look for that. And if you're yeah. even if you're looking at it, you wouldn't necessarily be able to identify it as a wheelchair right off the bat. This is one of the things that I think makes this such a fun series to rewatch because you can pick up little things like that. You see little things because now you're looking for it. 
Yeah, um, definitely for sure. But you can definitely in, in that opening in that opening flashback, you learn almost everything you need to know about John Locke just as a person, even before the wheelchair reveal. Well, where it's just he has I don't want to say delusions of grandeur. I was about to say that might be too strong. You're right, but but kind of. Well, he's he in this game that he's playing. He's clearly, you know, he's an important figure. He's an important man. And then when we see Randy shit on him, it shows how unimportant he is, like in the grand scheme of the world and how he really feels about himself. And the scene, it's really weird watching the scene where Randy is making fun of him for wanting to go to Australia on a trip and go on a walkabout. Like... It's ridiculously cruel. Like, he takes this brochure off of Locke's desk, and it it would be very interesting if he played it more of concerned and they brought up Locke's condition a little bit earlier. Because otherwise, you just think Randy's just being a dick because Locke is older. Yeah, I guess they were worried that if he was like, oh, you're con- if they were if there was concern... That we would start to think or there like, was a physical hey, ailment. I don't think that's a good idea. I mean, like, like, uh, I, if if a boss, like, like if I had some sort of medical condition that my boss knew about, and then he knew I was planning on climbing Mount Everest, he would probably bring up like, hey maybe that's not the best use of your vacation time. You know, there are there are other places to go. There are other things to do. Um, you know, because it comes from a place of concern, because I work in a place where my boss actually cares about me as a person. But, like, here, it's very much just you, played for the bully cruelty You don't angle. work for Randy? I don't work but for I, Randy, thank God. I wonder if we need... I mean, we were just talking about how Randy's a little over the top, but I wonder if we need that extreme. So that we don't see it coming? Yeah. I wonder if that... I wonder if we were to you know talk to the writers if they would say that's the reason we we also might be looking at randy as even more extreme because we know he's picking on a guy in a wheelchair um yeah i was thinking about that on this rewatch also but nah, i think he's just a <laughs> dick but but Locke brings up and here's the part where it tips its hand the yes. most Locke brings up that a double amputee climbed everest yep and I don't know in retrospect how I didn't see it coming after that. But you know what? I, I, I think, one, we weren't conditioned to look for things. There were, TV shows weren't the puzzle boxes that they yeah. were back in 2004. And also, I think it's that uh, he, he turns the whole thing about destiny and about being and going to do these things. So... Yeah, it becomes more an example of just it, it might be the same thing like if there was something you felt that you couldn't do I mean be, I might go a double amputee climb yeah, Mount like, Everest and like you might be like I could do it. It's the sort of thing you would see as like a motivational poster yeah. in a cubicle. Yes. Uh, Hang in there baby. Especially for a guy who is you know very much middle management who clearly has an inferiority complex. And Locke throws out the line when Randy's telling him he can't do it, he throws up, don't tell me what I can't do, which becomes kind of an, uh, a mantra for Locke 
And also, you're right, it does become, I guess as things go on, a little bit of a selfish mantra because it does end up putting people in risk because he becomes so crazy about, I have to do this, I have to do that. Again, it's so heartbreaking in retrospect because all Locke cares about, you know, is getting his agency back. And, you know, and that's what happens when he comes to the island is he gets a second chance, you know, talking about a blank slate, he gets the chance to be the adventurer he always wanted to be and, you know, uh, to live that that life he he dreamed about. But like on his terms is just being a person on living life on his own terms was something he was never able to do in regular society, even before he lost the use of his legs. So that, you know, that whole don't tell me what I can't do is so tragic because he ends up, again, being a pawn in a metaphysical game. And it's really heartbreaking to think about it in that terms because, again, all he wants is agency and living life on his own terms. Uh, Then the next flashback we see he's in bed and he's on the phone. He's talking to somebody very excited about how he told Randy off. Helen, yeah. And uh, he told told Randy off and, and he's like, oh... I'm I'm going on the trip. I got two tickets. Oh. And then another. They're twisting Locke's story each because time. Each flashback from the colonel thing where you start thinking maybe this guy's ex-military to now the phone conversation where it's like, oh, this is well, like a 900 we, number. We get the drop about Helen during that whole conversation where Randy is picking on him. And, uh, you know, his his fellow game buddy whose name i forget i don't know if he got a name i don't think he um, ever comes back but he's like oh are you are you gonna tell helen have you told helen yet and then randy being the you know the <laughs> the quintessential dick that he is um immediately starts berating Locke for for quote-unquote having a woman in his life and it's like you have no idea what this guy is talking about. You could be referencing a relative for all you know you're just being a dick on a power trip which love to delve into randy's life and while why he feels the need to bully but um but we get the drop about helen and then seeing him on the phone with her we assume that yeah this is a romantic friend of his and then that the moment she says john you know there there's that twist in the conversation that for me was the most uncomfortable moment of the episode yeah because and maybe this is just me, you know, from from the female perspective here. But like, oh, man, is that like the because we don't know what kind of call service. I, I feel like we can guess, but we also don't know 100 percent what kind of call service she she works for. But he calls frequently enough and is lonely enough. Like she yeah. knows his condition. She knows things about him. She, you know, she. He's Tragically clo- enough, is probably the cl- person he's closest he's, to, and that's not healthy. He's doing this because he needs a human connection. Mm-hmm. Um, but then he goes, he goes. Don't tell him what he can't do. He goes down to Australia, and the next time we see him, he's being told he can't get on the bus for the walkabout. And again, this seems kind of amazing because... You watch the scene the first time, and you have to be saying, what the hell? What is going on? What is going on here? At this point, you know something's up. 
Like, why are they telling? Why is everybody telling? Why is them? everybody telling him what he can't do? He just all he keeps saying is, "Don't tell me what I can't do." And then there's the turn where we see him turn, and he's in a wheelchair. Now, this is what I'm talking about. Where, um, you know, there are shots of Locke behind the desk, but the wheelchair is obscured by a brochure stand that's there, and um, you know, the the person who works for the company is saying things like your condition and you misrepresented yourself, um, you know, and, and things like that. It's all masterfully done um, up until the point where once Locke pulls back on his on his wheelchair and pulls back from the desk and you see it, I, I get chills every time I think about it. I get chills every time I talk about it. I the first time I saw it, it was one of the biggest television emotional gut punches I think I've ever received. And then there's immediately after that we go back to and granted this is the end of the episode and we're gonna get back to the island in a second, but we get back to it's the kind of the funeral at the island and Locke is there and he sees the wheelchair and and it's very emotional. Like it's very like you realize what you you finally realize what this man is going through yeah. and what he's feeling and you start to understand like the mystery that he's trying to now puzzle out about himself yeah, and you it finally clicks um when you when you start seeing when it cuts back to the moment where he walks again for the first time um during that funeral sequence it suddenly clicks for you what he meant when he told Walt a miracle happened to me like all of like all of a sudden yeah. everything the awkward behavior um the talk of a miracle uh all all the grandstanding adventuring everything clicks into place during this episode Locke was kidding himself though that he didn't think this company this company of course this company was gonna they gotta they can't let someone in a wheelchair go however I'm surprised he just didn't try to go off on his own <sighs> Like it hire like a guide or something like a private thing shows how truly delusional he was. Um, and to you know, look, here's the thing: it's sad, but I totally get where the company representative is coming from. Oh yeah, absolutely. That's an insurance nightmare. One, yeah, Locke physically can't go. <laughs> There's probably not a, a handicap access thing on the bus itself. Too like yeah, if he were to get hurt, it's, it's you would just need an to, insurance nightmare. You would need to hire a private guide, somebody who's willing to, you know, eh, lock, lock. Oh, poor well, and Locke. you have to go. Don't tell him what he can't do. You have to go. We're on telling trails. him. We're telling him what he can't do right you now. You have to go on trails that are wheelchair accessible, and the person who climbed Mount Everest. They their situation was a little bit different. They they might have been an amputee, but they could still move their appendages. They probably had a lot of uh, physical therapy. They also probably had a lot of Sherpas helping (laughs) them, you know. Um, So let's get back to the island. Yeah. So (laughs) how many days have we been on this island, Megan? Uh... Four. (laughs) We've been on this island four days. Which they say it's been four days. And I'm like, oh, this is the fourth episode. And for a brief second, I wondered, did this show at one point try to make each episode a day? Its own day. 
<laughs> but I, I don't think I don't well, think that was I ever going to be the case. Kind of a little bit because I remember there's like a bit I, I want to say at the beginning of season four, season three, where they mentioned that they'd only been there for a couple months, like two months or something like that. And I was like, it's been a couple of years. <laughs> yeah, but it makes sense. It's just like. The one thing that always drove me crazy with Breaking Bad was at the start of the final season, they're like, well, it's been a year. I'm like, Jesus Christ, all that happened in a year? Like, what the hell? Oh, Walter. Yeah. Your, like, your life sort of spiraled there, didn't like, it? But I guess a lot can happen a in a year. A lot can happen in a year. Um, um, and a lot can happen in four days. Um, it's also interesting because we're coming at this show on a rewatch how oh none of these people even really know each other no. like when Locke makes his big moment in this episode there's a moment where uh sawyer's well the night before they had heard a bunch of uh noise, commotion commotion in the cabin which and, is where all the dead people are which is real unsettling and you know there's a monster on this island so when you start hearing weird noises in the plane it could very well be a monster and you know they're Boars. They're boars eating the dead. Oh, that's gross. Uh, and they're kind of chased away. And the next morning they realize, oh, we're running out of, out of food. Because, yeah, who thought they were going to be here that long? For four days, yeah. And they're like, well, what are we going to... Sawyer's like, I got my peanuts and don't, don't touch my peanuts or whatever. <laughs> I did love how, like, when they start hearing the commotion in the plane... Jack's immediate response is Sawyer, and Sawyer's like, "I'm right here." Yeah. <laughs> um, and then there's this great moment where Sawyer's sitting down in one of the plane seats, and all of a sudden a knife, pew, like, comes flying I into the seat. I completely forgot about this moment. I'm gonna be honest; it made me jump. I, I, <laughs> I was like, "Ah, Jesus!" And we realized this is luck. I mean, we know Walt and Michael know luck, but this is the moment where Locke is really introducing himself to everybody because they're like, oh, Mr. Uh, Locke, you know? And this is... Because well, he's been basically sitting by himself and keeping to himself and looking at the ocean and just thinking for the past four days. I think it's... Um, uh, I love the line where Jack's like, like, you either have really good aim or really bad aim. <laughs> And, uh, you know, everybody kind of takes it kind of cool that he just threw a knife um, at Sawyer, basically. <laughs> but eh, he's Sawyer's kind of a jerk. <laughs> he's got a giant collection of knives. Well, not only that, but he kind of has, like, this crocodile Dundee. Um, again, like, and this is before we, we know, you know, flashback-wise who he is. But he's just like, I'm the... He, uh, I'm the man with the plan. I can do this. I can do this. And yeah, look at my knife collection. And and Hurley, God bless him, says exactly what the audience is thinking, one hundred percent of the time. Who the hell is this guy? Yeah, because that's exactly what you, as the audience member, is thinking watching this episode and seeing him introduce himself as a badass. And he's like, "We're gonna hunt. We hunt." Yeah. And he said he just needs two people to go with him. He gets this boar. He needs people to kind of like scare the boar out and he's going to kill the boar with a knife, which is pretty badass. Yeah. Because he even says these big razorbacks. You know what it kind of reminds me of? Um, you know, you know the movie Jaws? 
where never I, heard of it. <laughs> where they're all um, bickering uh, about like about what's going on, and then all of a sudden you have Quinn just scratch his nail yes. across the chalkboard. Yes, it's his Quinn moment. Or yep. Quint, Quint. Was it Quint or Quint? Yeah. Okay, Quint. What, whatever. You know what I'm talking about. Yeah. <laughs> The, I'm the guy who knows shit about shit. <laughs> You're going to listen to me while I drink. <laughs> yeah. Farewell and adieu to you fair Spanish ladies. <laughs> that movie is perfect. That Yes, it absolutely is. So, um, the, he gets his quint moment and he's going to go out into the jungle with his knives and Michael's coming along. He says, well, I get to know your friend, Mr. Locke, a little bit better. Can I just say, like, I get what they were going for, but literally he could have asked anybody besides Sun. There there are so many people on this island. He could have asked anybody who actually, and, and granted, we know because we've seen the show that she speaks English and that she can completely understand him, but he doesn't know that. He literally could have asked anyone to keep an eye on I'm gonna I'm going to bring this up again later when I... I look at my negatives of the episode <laughs> when I pick up my big negative. Uh, again, I know what they were going for because they had established some sexual tension between the two of them. And really, Michael hadn't really gotten to know anybody well, at it, that point. Like, she was the only person he had had kind of multiple interactions with. Yeah. Um, so I get it from that perspective. But from a... You take a step back and you're like, would you ask the one person on this plane isn't demonstrating any ability to speak the same language as you to watch your kid for X amount of time. I'd probably ask uh, the pregnant lady. Yeah, probably. That's what I would think. To, that's who I would think to ask. Yeah, or or literally anybody else. Like the teenage guy who's, you know, <laughs> chastising his sister for not contributing while also not contributing anything himself. Yeah, well, the, I want to get to those guys separately they, because that's that's fun. Like, well, like I said, I, I we love Sun and we know that she's a responsible person and could watch out for, for Walt if need be. But the long, long and the short of it is is that if she wants to keep up her ruse, they have nothing to talk about. So, so, <laughs> so what, that's just two hours of awkward, not conversation. So what ends up happening is Michael goes with them mostly because I think he does legitimately want to know this guy who his son's spending yeah. time with because, you know. Well, and, and he also did Michael a solid by finding the dog. Yes. Yeah. And two, um, uh, Kate goes with them and it's because she is going to place uh antennas so that saeed can find the power source of where the signal of the french woman is broadcasting from so that this they is, can find it he's trying to he's setting up like kind of a he's trying to triangulate this now there's interesting though kate offers to help and uh there's this idea like oh is kate offering to help because she wants to get off the island or is kate offering to help because she doesn't want to get off the island and she could mess it up. Now, oh, I didn't even think of it that I way. I thought of it that way. And obviously I know the answer to this because Kate does Kate doesn't want to be stuck on the island. Kate is trying to help. But I, I, I'm trying to put myself in the place of watching this again from the first time and being like, oh, this might be the one person who doesn't want off the island because the second she gets they pick her up, she's under arrest. There's nowhere to run. See, 
like I that never really occur, like it, it occurred to me when the episode itself brings it up but like there's nothing about her performance and granted you know Kate has a really good poker face but there's nothing about her performance that indicates that staying on the island is the better alternative for her um for what I look at this and I see it more as like strangely enough now that I know that originally she was going to be the protagonist I have a lot of issues looking at a lot of this series moving forward where she's ta- clearly taking on protagonisty things and I'm like yeah this should have been your show now and this is definitely one of those instances of her taking charge and especially because Jack is being all mopey and we'll we'll talk about that but like she's taking charge and taking initiative and there's a moment where she's talking with Saeed and I was like you brought up that Saeed was actually a really good candidate to be the leader of the yes. group. And I'm looking at it, I was like, yeah, why the heck didn't they lead everybody? Kate and Saeed are fantastic and proactive and competent. And I'm like, holy cow, they should have been the leaders and they should have just led the me- left the medical stuff to Jack. He would have had far less of a savior complex if that's what had happened. Um, please, Megan, a woman in a minority leading the island? That's why I'm saying you're like, oh my gosh, this would have been amazing. And this entire episode, uh, we'll we'll talk about it with Jack, but like, and we know why he's acting the way he does in this episode, but watching it and seeing the way Kate and Saeed interacted, I, I'm sitting here going, Jack, could you just not white male protagonist today? Could you just stop? <laughs> Um, so they go off into the jungle with Locke. And, you know, Locke is good at tracking these things. Yeah. And he knows the boars are near, and he tells them to be quiet, but Michael doesn't be quiet. <laughs> Michael is his He's own worst enemy. He's just a Because Michael's like, oh, where's the... <laughs> just like that? Just like that. <laughs> He's giving exposition. I don't, I don't remember everything he said. But all of a sudden, the boar comes out. And it, they barely get out of the way, and Michael gets injured in his leg, and Locke is down for the count for a second too, and it takes him. And there's that great moment where then we get a little bit of like a, a flashback. Then we come back to him, and he's again looking at his foot, which the first time I saw didn't read that much into, but now you read so much into. Yeah, I just thought he had the wind knocked out of him. Yeah, and he gets up, but he's a little out of it. He calls Kate Helen briefly, mm-hmm. um, and then he's like. I'm going to go after it by myself. In case, like, we got to bring Michael back. You can't go by yourself. He's like, don't tell me what I can't do. <laughs> and he Jeez. goes off into the jungle. Meanwhile, Kate decides on the way back, oh, we're making a pit stop. I'm going to climb this giant tree and put up the antenna, which she promptly drops. I guess she drops because the smoke monster Yeah, is it's coming. not 100% her fault. Had the smoke monster not shown up, she probably wouldn't have dropped it. She was a little butterfingers with that, though. Yeah, but it was there's a-, a supernatural monster rolling through. Besides, if she had, we couldn't exactly solve the mystery of the French woman so soon in season one, Will. Well, we do. <laughs> That's we, clearly a storyline that needed to be dragged out. Well, we do find the French woman in season one. Yeah, I, I know, but not like this early. Yeah, well. So, <laughs> anyway. I don't know. My memory of the timeline is so skewed. It's been so long. There'll be a French woman episode sooner rather than later. Anyway. 
Uh, and let's call her Rousseau. That's her name. <laughs> that hasn't been established yet. <laughs> so anyway, uh, Kate drops the thing. Again, clearly it's an accident, but I couldn't help thinking when she got back and Saeed was all angry, if there was part of Saeed that was like, when I let this, and he doesn't know her whole background, but like when I let her do this, like I got to do these things, like people are going to screw this up. Yeah, it, it's kind of funny, um, the interactions between Kate and Michael, because this is when I, I realized how few people on the island actually did know her backstory. Like, Yeah, nobody knows at yeah. this point. But it, like a couple people know she has a mugshot, though. Uh, if Michael knew she had a mugshot, he probably wouldn't have been so amiable. <laughs> there's, there, it's so funny. This whole episode, there's a lot of people introducing themselves to each other uh, uh, throughout it and, and really getting to know each other. Um, but Kate sees the smoke monsters, and she doesn't see it smoke, but she sees the monsters coming, and she sees heading right towards where Locke went. And we have this moment. This is a very important moment for the, the series where Locke standing in a clearing and the smoke monster, uh, we see the POV of the smoke monster come. and it's Very evil over, dead. <laughs> it's over. Yeah, it is very evil dead. And it's over him. And Locke's looking up at the smoke monster. And it's like, this guy's got to be done for, except we know he can't be because we're also in the middle of a flashback storyline yeah. for him. And the next time we see Locke, he comes back to Conquering Hero. He killed the boar. He did it himself, and he dragged this big boar back. And how did he uh, survive the monster? Well, he says he didn't see the monster. Mm. Now, what's very interesting about this is later Locke will talk about how he looked into, like, the it looked into the island, looked deeply into the heart of this island, into the eye of this island, when he looked into the smoke monster. And in retrospect, the smoke monster, who does kind of, you know, there's a supernatural thing to him. There's a godlike thing to these entities who control this island, was looking into Locke and sizing him up. And it's at this moment, the smoke monster decides to put that his... That one. That one. And I'm going to put this plan in place. And I'm going to get into this guy. And this guy's the key for it's me. It's really weird to think of the smoke monster and Locke's interactions here this early on being a seduction. Like, that's kind of like, you know, the the smoke monster is luring Locke in so that it can manipulate him. It's and, very, and very it, interesting thinking of it that way. And it sees him as the number one person to manipulate because he's the one who is having the most profound experience with yeah. design. He is the one Borderline easily... religious experience. I mean, Jack is going to see shit. Jack starts seeing shit in this episode, and it still takes Jack about four seasons to believe, which is why Longer I've always been that. frustrated. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, we've got to go back, comes in at the end of season two, so he's gone. But, I mean, it's really... It takes him forever. Well... In it's his not defense, really until he sees the island disappear. Yeah. <laughs> in in this in this particular instance where where we start to see with what he's seeing, you can definitely see why he would pass it off as hallucination. Yeah, plus like, he's a I'm man halluc- of science. Yeah, exactly. So uh, But I don't know how you freaking explain the smoke monster as a man of science. So let's get back to the beach. Uh Jack 
says we're going to have to burn the fuselage. We're going to have to burn all these these bodies. Yeah, because it's unsafe. And um, I'm actually surprised the amount of pushback he got on this. Because I guess I guess they're just still assuming, well, someone will come any minute now. Yeah. And we shouldn't do this. But Saeed gives him pushback. Um He's saying this is no regard to their religion, to their beliefs. Uh, granted, this is coming from someone who is has a different. It's probably the only Muslim. We'll, we'll on find the out island. later. He was the only one accosted at the airport. Thanks, Shannon. Uh, yeah, <laughs> he was the only one accosted at the airport for quote unquote being Arab. So I, I guess, I guess. I understand why he might think of, of of him, but he's also a military man. He's also pragmatic enough into realizing they might be stuck there. So I was surprised there was some some pushback. That's just what makes him a complex character, Will. He's uh, pragmatic but compassionate. There is compassion to him. <laughs> Jack is kind of cold about the whole thing. Well, In all honesty, well, he does say they're gone, we're not, which is the right way well, to think. But he gets kind of cold when Claire... His half sister, oh. <laughs> um, when Claire introduces reintroduces herself to him and says, um, "We want to do kind of a memorial," and he kind of shits on the idea of a. Mo- I I get why he might not want to be the guy to have to do it because that is a lot of pressure. Now he's already doing a lot, but he kind of like is kind of like cold to the whole idea of it. Here's the thing, uh, where. Jack annoyed the crap out of me in this episode. And I, I was really, I was like, oh, yeah, this is the, the start of all the stuff Will was saying about about why Jack is a grading character later on in the show. This is where a lot of it starts. But I was thinking about it, and, and it took me a minute to kind of connect the dots on this one because it had been a week since I had watched the last episode. Um, but I, I realized, I was like, Jack just committed a murder. He just, he was kind of forced to commit a murder in the last episode. And as we, we, you know, stated repeatedly, it's only been four days. So he probably committed a murder yesterday. Uh, so on the one hand, I, I definitely got frustrated with him, especially looking at Saeed and, and Kate and thinking how much more interesting the show would have been with them as the leads like, so I, I definitely got really frustrated with him in that regard. But at the same time, I took a step back. I was like, he did just murder a guy. He didn't want to. Well, but because of other people's incompetence slash choices, his hand was forced. And he had to end another man's life. And he's still kind of having to deal with that. That wasn't a patient that died on the operating table. That was somebody he put out of his his misery. Um, that that is true. Although I feel like Jack's, I I I I'm a little less forgiving to Jack. I get it in the term, but I'm bringing too much See, of what I know about him in the future. I, I forgive it in the short term because I'm like, you did just kill that yeah. guy it complete because at, at first when he's interacting with kate he's t- acting like a total jerk and i was like whoa this is unwarranted and then i was like oh yeah that there was the murder i remember now so uh, how- i forgive it in the short term 
just because he has not been given any time to process that very traumatic experience. But in the long term, you're absolutely right. This is where all of those seeds are planted of the, I I don't believe in this. I'm not actually the yeah. leader, even though I'm clearly the leader. All of that nonsense. What's interesting is I do see in Sawyer this episode regrets and feeling bad. Like there's a moment where he brings some stuff over to Claire yeah. for the memorial um, and I think Claire's doing a really good thing here. And Claire's trying to be useful and she's trying to be good. Yeah, because to... she can't go out and hunt while she's pregnant. Yeah, and it's, it's um, in a weird way, this is good for morale. If there's some closure to this, there, there's some yeah. closure to what they've been through. Like, I think it's important that Claire is putting this together. Yeah, it's, it's interesting thinking of Jack as, you know, the medical help. Locke is like the spiritual one. It's kind of interesting thinking of Claire in this particular instance meeting the emotional needs of everybody And here. she ends up, you know, she ends up eulogizing them. She ends up doing, and I mean, it's in a, you know, she doesn't know these people. And she's doing the best with what she's got. And, uh, you know, it's, Claire is a character uh, that's in, on this show, I feel like almost impossible not to like. She's uh, like, I, I absolutely adore her. Yeah. Um, I hate what becomes of her in later seasons. But she's right. He has her squirrel baby. <laughs> yeah, that, that for sure. Um, so I hate what becomes of her. But in, in these early seasons, she is one of the most lovable characters in the entire cast. Um, So in this whole thing, Jack... You know, Jack Jack really is doing that. And you're right. Let's talk about Boone here. Because Boone is complaining people aren't doing anything. And then Boone, like, why doesn't Boone go talk to Rose? Like, yeah. Boone, I, I guess what it's just What the hell, man? I guess it's just that Boone wants to be helpful but also has an inferiority complex. You know what I think should have been? And, and maybe this is a little too weird because Shannon and Saeed start dating. But I feel like initially, and, and I could very well be wrong in this regard, but I feel like Boone and Shannon were initially written a little younger than they're supposed, than the actors who are playing How them. How old up. are they supposed to be? I feel like they're supposed to be like 19 or so. Yeah, that makes so. sense. But I feel like they, they were meant, to, they were written to be a little bit younger. Because Shannon, to me, acts more like a 16-year-old than an, yeah, than an almost 20 person. She's rich. That's true, too. But, like, the Boone... Rich, the rich are the worst. But Boone, in particular, I look at him, and he very much seems more like a 14-year-old in a lot of regards. Like, the very eager to please, but very hesitant to actually take action. Uh, and I, I maybe that's because he was when he did act, he was he did the wrong thing, like he was doing CPR incorrectly. Yeah. So as a result, it, it kind of caused him to not want to act for fear of doing something wrong. But then he turns right around and accuses Shannon of being useless. And, you know, when, yeah, all he has to do is walk over to talk to Rose to check on her. Now, in fairness... Jack is the perfect person to talk to Rose because yeah. as he reminds Rose, like, hey, I told you I'd keep you company till your husband. Yeah, but back. Boone didn't know that. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> he does know that Jack saved her life. Jack saved her life where where Boone failed. But at I, this... I, well, that makes me wonder if it had been somebody else 
if it had been... Uh, literally anybody else. Yeah, literally anyone else on the island. Would he have, would Boone have gone over or does Boone feel some like kind of with Rose like, oh, I already fucked this up. I already her. failed her. I was going to jam a we, pen in her throat. We, we got to get the guy who, who knows how to take care of other people, Jack. Yeah, Papa Jack, Papa Jack. And remember, Boone ends up looking for someone to kind of take care of him in a way because he b- builds a bond with Locke. Um, so Jack has this great encounter with Rose. Uh, and they talk about Bernard. Bernard, and she says that she's got the wedding ring because his fingers would always swell up in the flight. And, <laughs> and then she, he's like, "Oh, um, you want? There's gonna be this memorial. You should come back." She's like, "Yeah, I'll come back." Like that sounds that. really nice. And he's like, "It gives you the chance to say goodbye to Bernard." And she's like, mm. "Wait a minute, my husband's still alive." <laughs> Um, and yeah, uh, laying the groundwork, laying the groundwork for season two. He talks about because the tail section is out there. They don't know where the tail section went. I do have to ask, and I don't necessarily remember. Um, but when we were watching this, you know, X amount of years ago, back in 2004, did you think she was just in denial? Yeah, of course. Yeah. Because I, because I, also at this point in the series, you don't really understand just how crazy and magical and 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 how much about fate and destiny this island is. Yeah. Um. And I, Rose and Bernard are characters that you know. I mean, they're they're you know C storyline characters, but they're char- and they get their own episodes. Yeah. And they they're they're great characters. Um, and this is setting up a lot of groundwork. That's a, that's a reunion that feels earned where the emotional payoff feels 100% satisfactory. So let's talk about one other small storyline going on as the characters. And it's funny, uh, you know, as the series goes on and it becomes about like the others and life and death constantly like situations, it's we get less of these B storylines of... But this one was one of my favorites. Of uh, Shannon says she can catch a fish. She could, I could get a fish. Well, I don't like that part of it, but I, I like the interactions we get later. But yeah. But she's like, we could, I could, I could get a fish. Boone is shitting on her for, for not contributing as much. Mr. I gotta get Jack to go do the thing that I'm clearly not qualified to do. But Shannon's like, I'll be able to get dinner. To, I'll be able, I could get a, a fish. <sighs> And what does she do? She goes up to Charlie, who, by the way, is getting high, <laughs> and goes up and is, you know, I mean, I, she's not like she manipulates. She manipulates. That's the long and short. She's of it. not like the disgustingly flirty. Like Charlie no. should have been able to withstand her charm. I think I could have withstand her charm. Well, we already the reason she targeted him is because he already exhibited some attraction towards her. Uh, in the pilot, he's like, "Oh yeah, if you're going, I'm definitely going." Yeah. Um. So he already exhibited, you know, the fact that he clearly finds her attractive, and then so she she absolutely honed in on that and targeted him because she could have she could have used her feminine wiles on literally anybody else on the island, but she knew he was an easy mark. So she charms Charlie and starts asking about fishing, and Charlie's like, "Oh yeah, yeah, Charlie don't know fishing." Um, 
And but he's like, oh yeah, I'm from England and Ireland. <laughs> I could, uh, yeah, you know, I'm from definitely. Lo- I'm from Long Island. I couldn't catch a fish. Well, I guess like, yeah, you know, I don't know, but <laughs> but not the way they have to catch fish. And then he recruits Hurley. And what I like about this, and it's probably the same thing you like, these two develop one of the best friendships on the series, and one of the most important friendships. And I feel like this is the very early goings of that. I I looked at the scene between the two of them, and I, I could have sworn, I was like, did these two actors even know the camera was rolling? Because yeah. that's how natural it was played off and how believable it was. And as far as things that how much was planned, obviously not everything in the series, in any series, could be planned because you got to roll with the punches. And watching that moment, I couldn't help but wonder if, when the actors were doing that on set, if that was when the writers and producers were like, oh, we're going to make these guys buddies. Yeah, because their chemistry is just, it's just there. And not to mention Dominic has freaking, they both have amazing comedic timing. And just seeing Dominic launch himself into the ocean was one of the funniest things I think I've ever seen. And there's almost this annoyance at Hurley at first, but then he can't help but like think it's funny too. And, and then they, they like both getting... kind of lose their balance like within the waves, which most likely wasn't scripted, was just the way the tide was going. And so they lose their balance and start to laugh. And it's like, this feels so genuine. But they get the fish eventually. And Charlie brings Shannon the fish. And then Boone apologizes to Charlie for his sister's behavior. But you know what? I guess they ate fish that night. I guess. I mean... I don't know how much Charlie actually got. I'm sure he got some of that fish. I don't uh, think Shannon so, man. didn't eat that whole fish. I Maybe. I don't know, man. Um, I'm just saying that, like, this is... This is where, I'm again, I get really annoyed with both her and Boone because I feel like I would feel less animosity towards the way they're portrayed here early on if their character arcs went somewhere and by somewhere i don't mean fucking purgatory man <laughs> but but boone he has, Look, we're gonna talk a lot about we'll boone talk a lot as about this boone. as this as this season goes on but, but he, Shannon, he gets a lot he gets more than her and that's not fair but i think these are here's the thing here's something i do like about this shannon moment shannon is a character who again like a lot of these people like boone doesn't think she can. Doesn't think she can do things. Doesn't think she could be useful. And this is us seeing her use the only thing she thinks she has. You yeah. know, we already know she can kind of speak French. And she's kind of given them a bit of important information. Yeah. But she still doesn't feel she can offer anything. Whether she vocalizes that or not, that's clearly a level... That her and, character's and operating even if on. even she did think she could, Boone constantly berating her, you know, anything she thinks she can contribute uh, probably flies right out the window with Boone calling her useless. So let me say this. I'm going to take the opposite approach. Good for you, Shannon. You deserve that fish. <laughs> you got that fish using the skills you know how. And But you will learn to do better. I, I see your argument. I still look at this as her being a manipulative jerk and also Boone being a dick about it as well. Like, because he's straight up humiliated Charlie in this regard, too. Uh, uh, 
the way the way he broke it to him it was less about apologizing to charlie and more about chastising shannon that's true. That's yeah. absolutely true. They're both garbage people in this regard. Gosh darn it, Boone. Your only redeeming quality right now is that you're occasionally earnest and adorable and your bright blue eyes, you handsome man. Uh, yeah, and Charlie. Everybody loves Charlie. Charlie's the... Mm, Even though he's also great. a, and a that's drug the, addict who's going to have that, a lot of problems that as the series That goes was a on. really sad moment, too, was, you know, after he gets humiliated later, right before the, the funeral, you see him taking another hit, and you see him shaking even more, and you can't tell if that's because of the withdrawal or if that's a combination of being frustrated and embarrassed or a combination of all three of those things. I can't believe I, I forgot one other thing. From this episode, and is going to play a big part in the next episode, we see Jack get a see somebody in a suit in the jungle. Oh, man. I remember the first time watching this episode and seeing that, and it was a downright chilling moment. Um, now I see the man in the suit, and then he disappears, and I yell at my TV because I'm angry about what it represents. It's Christian Shepherd. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't have angry about what that represents. It represent well, it represents a lot of uh uh Jack uh Shepherd father issues. Yeah, I was sitting here, I was like, God, this fucking show. <laughs> it's all father issues to show. And and this is where I was like, again, ghost magic guy another survivor who just ends up like is he he watching them from the from the jungle? We don't know at this point. Well, we're gonna but know it, soon enough. Like I said, at the time it was chilling. Now it annoys me, but it was it was very chilling at the time. So, Megan, I think we would agree. We probably our uh, our light, our pro, our Jacob of this episode, if you will, is the. Oh my the... god! Please, are we not gonna call them that? <laughs> Please, we can't call we can't call our pros and cons the Jacob and the man's in black. Or can we? <laughs> We'll see. We'll see. We'll try it out. We'll (laughs) We'll workshop it it a little bit. We'll workshop it a little bit. But the Jacob of the episode would be, I mean, I think for both of us is just the, I mean, you want a competition with it. This flashback structure, the reveal of Locke in the wheelchair, it doesn't get better than that. It was so powerful. I I genuinely forgot how much character development there was for literally everybody else in this episode because there was a lot That's for everybody a lot. else. Actually, but rewatching the episode, I was shocked. Uh, I mean, at how little was actually focused on Locke. Yeah, like I wonder if we looked at character screen time, Locke probably wouldn't have as much as we think, even yeah. with the flashbacks. Um, my con in this episode, my my man in black, if you will. Um, is not as much even that Michael left Walt with son. His befuddlement around her. It's like he's a different character. And I know, I guess they are setting up the tension, but he's so, like the last week, he was like, a naked lady. And this week, it's like he's doing such the typical, like... Like, I saw you naked, but we gotta pretend like this is normal. And then also, like, you, I will talk louder because you can't speak English. I am 
asking you to do me a favor. Which, you watch, boy. <laughs> I want, I mean, I've never been in a foreign country, although I have talked to people who can't speak English. And I don't I think mean, I've ever talked that way to them. I think, is that a thing that, do, do people actually do that? Or is that just a thing that happens in movies and TV? I think, I don't know. I feel like it depends. I feel like I've probably done this exact thing uh, with in terrible some capacity. Um, at bare minimum, I, I definitely know that, like, so when I, I, I didn't realize until about two years ago about how frequently I use idioms. Until I was talking to a, a person from Russia who was one of my classmates who, um, who you know, English was their second language. And, and I, I realized I used idioms a lot because a lot of times he had to ask me for clarification. And I was like, wow, I really use idioms a lot. And then I had to stop and think of, about how to properly describe certain idioms. And I was like, oh, wow, I take, I take that for granted. That's interesting. Um, I know for a fact that people have come up to me who couldn't speak English and started talking and I think my reaction was just what <laughs> um, I know that whenever I get uh, calls from telemarketers in Spanish I I speak one line of sentence uh, one line of Spanish fluently enough for them to be confused uh, because I say I I'm sorry I don't know how to speak Spanish very well and I've gotten so used to saying that they don't believe me. I remember back in the 90s working at Blockbuster Video and this woman didn't want to pay late fees and she started clearly claiming she couldn't speak English and she was just speaking Spanish to me and I just kept saying to her I said look I know you can speak English you rented the movie. <laughs> it's the English language movie. I said, I know you're <laughs> nice just trying. Try. <laughs> I just know you're just trying not to pay the late fees. And she got really mad, and I wouldn't let her rent some other movie, and she stormed out. But she never, she never cracked. But I knew she knew. She Megan, committed to the bit. Is your uh, con your man in black? Is it? Uh, is it Randy? Is it over the top? Yeah, Randy? I I would have to say my man in black would be over the top Randy because on the one hand, like his. His exposition, and th and this is again, this is just upon a rewatch. This is upon really looking at something to nitpick. But his performance was a little bit hammy, a little bit over the top. As a bully, that seems a little unrealistic. But again, I I don't want to claim that there aren't people like that out there because there are. By the um, way, my boss does that to me. I'm going to HR. Yeah, absolutely. Like, they're rounding around my desk. They're pulling out my private brochures. They're yeah. making fun of my trips. Invasion of privacy, bare minimum. Also, making fun of the paraplegic man feels <laughs> very much like an HR issue. But Locke, we also know that Locke is too proud to ever you know, complain about that sort of thing. But the performance was a little bit hammy. And also, and again, you know, Whatever it, it is, what it is, uh, you know, the actor does his best with the direction he's given. So maybe he was directed to act that way. But the only other thing I have to complain about that scene is that the exposition that was dumped in that flashback was a little clunky. That's that's real. Again, I'm yeah. nitpicking here. This is a really great episode. So, um, yeah, another episode down. Only 114 more to go. Um, <laughs> you guys can't can't see, but Will just witnessed me visibly deflate. <laughs> uh, so, Megan, where can the people find 
you? Uh, you guys can find me weeping about this episode and about how good it was and about how it gave me chills. Um, but also you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at the Menguin. That's T-H-E-M-E-N-G-U-I-N. And you can follow me on Twitter at <laughs> the Real Will Link. And you can follow us on Twitter at No Love Lost Pod. Uh, I believe you can get uh, all forms of social media. No love, 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 lost pod. Uh, That's on Twitter and Instagram. And you can also like us on Facebook. Um, Yes. So another one down. We will be here next week to get more into Jack and his father. Oh, boy. Oh, Uh, boy. Until then. Again, Jack, could you just not white male protagonist today? Pretty Uh, please. That's asking too much. (laughs) Particularly from network television uh, 12 years ago. (laughs) All right. See you then. Bye. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to No Love Lost on the podcast Jukebox Network. Yeah, we really appreciate you guys listening. And if you guys liked the show that we put on, you might like some of the other shows put on by this lovely network. Um, Off the Cuffs, which is a kink and BDSM podcast, which is very popular. Um, Being There, Will Sean podcast. Will he? Uh, he does. <laughs> uh, you would know. Drinks with God and proud to be kinky. Yeah, so we want to give a big thank you to this network for, for supporting us and for giving us a platform to talk about Lost On. So, guys, it would really mean a lot if you would show uh, these other podcasts some love. Yeah, go back, give them a listen. If you like us, you might like them. We're on the same network. Only makes sense. Go listen to them. Give them all five stars. Do that. And then also give us five stars. Yeah, we could use it. (laughs) 